Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. Thank you for setting aside evenings like this one just to fellowship in your son's good name, relax together, fellowship with each other, be encouraged by each other's faith for as long as it is called today, Father. What a grace gift this evening is. Thank you. We pray for those that can't be with us this evening for a variety of reasons, and we pray for those that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this even possible. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the deceitfulness of sin this past week has been interesting because, frankly, I never expected the Spirit to spend so much time on something as commonplace as food. Um, and yet, in all fairness, upon closer inspection, being Americans, uh, food is a perfect subject for discussing one's appetite and I use that word on purpose, one's appetite for fleshly things. In the end, whether we are talking about food or sex or money or approbation lust or what have you, the message from the Spirit is exactly the same. Go to 1 Corinthians 6.19. So the mess, it's the message we're after. It's the principle that we're after. Uh, we, you know, we looked at music not too long ago. Uh, we're looking at food, uh, recent and recent uh, messages. And he's just using those things. They could have been interchangeable with, like I said, sex, money, approbation. You pick the poison. It doesn't really matter. Whatever a person has an inordinate appetite for, uh, that is a problem. 1 Corinthians 6.19. Uh, but on this idea of food and on the idea of the physical body, do you not know that your body is a temple. And you can try to spiritualize that away, but that would be a mistake. You have a body, you've been given one body, and it's a temple. So says Holy Spirit, uh, so says the Holy Spirit of the Holy Spirit, so that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price. That's a great perspective to cling to. Therefore, Glorify God in said body, in your body. Is that, I mean, is there any questions, really? I mean, we're given one body, we're given this temple, and it has a place in our walk. And the Bible says so. So here's um, the great litmus test, and this has come up over the messages over the past few years. The great litmus test is what you're doing or think about, thinking about doing, bringing glory to God? That's the big question. You know that your body is a temple, and you ought to be glorifying God in your body. So the big question is, is what you're doing or even thinking about doing, bringing glory to God with that body of yours? Are you bringing glory to God, or are you defiling it somehow? Are you abusing it somehow? 
because it's supposed to be a component of an instrument of righteousness. You come as a whole package, right? You have to move, you have to walk this walk. And um, the human body, this frame that we've been given, this vessel uh, is intended uh, for use for honor, to bring glory to God. That's not rocket science. I don't know why some people have such a hard time with it or people don't um, like the idea of being called out this way, that you also have to look after your own human body, that that's a responsibility of yours. So again, the great litmus test is, is what you're doing or thinking about doing bringing glory to God? Are you glorifying God in your body, to quote 1 Corinthians 6, 20? I believe there are a lot of so-called Christians out there that would answer, yes, matter of fact, I think I am. However, they are deceived. I think there's a lot of so-called Christians out there that would answer yes. Uh, maybe even some that have heard these messages as of late. I don't know, that's between them and the Lord. But I think there's a lot of people that answer yes, but are deceived. And I suppose, thinking about that, one of the downsides of being relatively intelligent, and I say relative, uh, compared to, say, other animals, not God, but one of the downsides about being relatively intelligent, sentient beings, is that we are able to invent. We are able to invent I was thinking about that up here on the board for the sake of perspective. They say that necessity is the mother of all invention. Well, in order to justify ungodliness, humans are famous for inventing doctrines that don't actually exist or even throwing out ones that do exist. Again, they say that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, in order to justify ungodliness, in other words, that's what's necessary to the flesh, for the flesh to carry on, for the flesh to pursue its own appetites, that's the necessity. They say that that necessity, or that necessity is the mother of invention. Well, in order to justify ungodliness, humans are famous for inventing doctrines that don't actually exist. For example... As we've been noting, fitness and readiness to serve is a primary concern of God the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a biblical doctrine. That's what's in the Word of God. We just read that in Holy Scripture. So we've been noting that fitness and readiness to serve is a primary concern of God the Holy Spirit. He's been teaching us truth so that we might bring glory to God with said bodies. So he's been teaching us that we might, and it's intended that we bring glory to him. We shouldn't be acting like adolescents, looking for, you know, loopholes, let's call them, loopholes in the Word of God in order to justify our ridiculousness. Because that's what people do. That's what lawyers do. And adolescents love to lawyer. You ever been around an adolescent? They love to what? Argue and lawyer. But you didn't say I couldn't, you know, come home, blah, blah, blah. You just said, can we just get by this? Isn't that what we do? We do it as grown-ups. We just get better at it. 
But nonetheless, the Spirit's been saying, to bring glory to me, you need to stop acting like an adolescent, looking for loopholes in the Word of God in order to justify ridiculousness. Or maybe even worse, invent doctrines that are best described as doctrines of demons. If it's not biblical doctrine, then it's a made-up doctrine, which is, in all, for all intents and purposes, a doctrine of a demon. Or as the Bible would call it out, doctrines of demons. Now, a perfect example is actually with physical fitness. For, apparently, there are boatloads of Christians who don't understand what the Bible has to say about it. They don't understand what the Bible has to say about it. I would venture to guess, and I know I've known enough Christians, people who call themselves Christians, I would venture to guess that there are many Christians out there that don't even consider physical fitness at all as a component of being an instrument of righteousness. They don't even consider physical fitness at all. Go to 1 Timothy 4.7. 1 Timothy 4.7. Now, granted, as you're turning 1 Timothy 4.7, the Bible doesn't tell us that, you know, um, physical fitness is of great, great importance compared to spiritual fitness. Matter of fact, it really tells us that one uh, proceeds from the other. That physical fitness, once you understand that you have a purpose in this life, that you only go this way once, that you have this body that doesn't need any help destroying itself or decaying, you understand that you have a purpose, and so you want to enslave that body. You want to shoot, you want to master it. You don't want it to be master over you with its lusts, because we know that the sin nature abides in it. First Timothy 4, 7, But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women, On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, comparatively speaking. It doesn't say it's of no profit. That's a big point. It doesn't say that it's of no profit. It just says it's of little profit. And again, it's compared to the real thing, which is godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so I gave you this perspective up here in the board on bodily discipline is only of little profit. It is conceded that bodily discipline is of profit. However, compared to spiritual fitness, it pales. It's just not a big deal comparatively, compared to spiritual fitness. Matter of fact, this is not a license for physical unfitness. It's just the opposite. Rather, it simply gives us perspective on order of priorities. The Bible never says that physical fitness is of no profit. never says that. If you read the Bible through and through, uh, you understand that physical fitness is important. So it is conceded that bodily discipline is of profit. However, compared to physical fitness, it does pale. This is not a license for physical unfitness. It's just the opposite. Rather, it simply gives us perspective on order of priorities. Considering the likes of Romans 12.1, which reads, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual service of worship. In other words, when it says present your bodies, it means everything about you. Present everything. You come to the table. This is your sacrifice, your life. You don't have a life outside of your body, do you? I mean, you kind of go with your body, right? <laughs> I mean, you don't, go over, you don't come to church without your body. Your body takes you where you need to go. And if it's always, if you, if you let it overcome you, if you let the sin nature overcome you, that body goes somewhere else, doesn't it? Goes to a liquor store, or goes to a strip joint, or goes to uh, wherever it is you guys go. I'm not saying you go to either one of those places. I'm just saying that's where the body wants to go to satisfy its lust. And what does the Bible say? Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. That means all of you. That's acceptable to God. And that's your spiritual service of worship. The undeniable truth is that we have been given a body. That's undeniable. We've been given a body. An instrument, in part, made for righteous deeds. I mean, how do you, um, how do you tell someone? How do you encourage someone? What, 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 what happens? Your diaphragm moves, air comes out of your larynx, through your larynx, you make vocal sounds called uh, language, and you encourage them with your mouth. Well, what is that all part of? The human body. I mean, this is not rocket science. Last time I checked. We are instruments made for righteous deeds. To exclude the physical body from consideration would be like excluding the frame of a new car when making a purchase at a dealership. You want the whole car that can actually take you from point A to point B? Or do you just want the marketing materials and the owner's manual and only dream about actually driving it? Hmm. The human body has a place in Holy Scripture. It has a place. It's mentioned an awful lot. Go to Philippians 1.20. Philippians 1.20. It's not always the greatest help. As Paul would say, who will free me from this body of death? Because it is riddled with sin nature. But that doesn't mean we can't be master over it, like the Bible says. It doesn't mean we have to follow its lusts, like the Bible says. Says we ought to enslave it, make we ought to be its master. And then we can do righteous deeds with it. Philippians 1:20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Do you see the physicality in view there? Of course you do. Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Again, the human body has a place in Holy Scripture, which means we cannot discount it. We cannot spiritualize everything in the Holy Bible. The human body has a place, and it talks very frequently about the human body. Holy Scripture does. Go to 2 Corinthians 4.10. 2 Corinthians 
I mean, the perfect example, of course, is Jesus Christ. I mean, look at how he used his body. Was it not his body on a cross? Of course. 2 Corinthians 4.10 Always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest where? In our body. So the body, again, is commonly uh, referenced in Holy Scripture. That means we cannot discount it. Now, whether we American, quote, Christians like the idea of physical fitness being a real component of our walk, that's not the issue. That's not the issue. I know a lot of people, especially in today's day and age, because we're almost anti-physical in this country because of technology. All the, you know, so-called great jobs, except if you're a professional athlete, which is like, you know, you got to want a bazillion chance of that. All the so-called high-paying jobs, most of them, you're sitting on your butt, either in a car or behind a computer. All day. And so we have this culture that breeds uh, physical complacency. We have this whole culture that breeds this thing, and it's easy, I think, to sort of divorce yourself from the whole idea of physical fitness and just sort of sit around and not do really much of anything. I mean, that's sort of America. I mean, isn't that what we all talk about doing? What does everybody say? When I make it, what am I going to do? I'm going to be sipping my ties on a beach. In other words, I'm going to get really lazy. Isn't that what everybody dreams about? Right? That's why everybody works so hard. Blah, blah, blah. blah. I'm going to do all this stuff. I'm going to go blind looking at a computer screen 12 hours a day so I can eventually retire and sip my ties on a beach. What's that got to do with evangelizing people? Where's, where's the physical activity? Where's the activity? Where's the going out? Where's the spreading the good news? Where's the encouraging one another? Where's any of that that requires a physical body to actually get up and move and be fit for service? We've kind of lost our physicality in America. I get pictures, um, I probably get 10 pictures a week and, uh, and probably at least a couple of emails, maybe sometimes three. Uh, from an from a Indian gentleman that I support his ministry now. And there's always, he's always standing up and he's always walking somewhere. And he's always giving somebody the truth or he's giving them a Bible or he's walking through some destitute Indian village or he's got his hands up in the air and he's praising God in front, on a, at a pastor's meeting or whatever he's doing. He's out there. He's doing it. And he's physically fit. Imagine that. That's almost like anti-American. I know it's tough, but that's, that's what's going on. So whether we American Christians like the idea of physical fitness being a real component of our walk, that's not the issue. The human body is referred to quite often in Holy Scripture. Granted, again, it is riddled with sin, but we are called to master it to discipline our bodies, as Paul wrote. That's our calling, to master it. It's not supposed to master us. It's not supposed to become 
a sloth. It's not supposed to become somebody who sits behind a computer screen uh, doing things they probably shouldn't be doing. That's not, <laughs> that's not uh, what we're supposed to be using our bodies for. Or, 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 you know, sitting in front of a TV and stuffing our faces. That's not what we're supposed to be using our bodies for. So that we can overindulge in whatever it is we want to overindulge in. Whatever our appetite happens to be. Again, granted the human body is riddled with sin, but we are called to master it. To discipline our bodies for the spiritual service of worship. Up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 6, 13, Part B. Yet, the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. I just mentioned that. The body is not for immorality, and the Lord is for the body, but it is for the Lord. You have been purchased with a price. Your body is not meant to do uh, uh, sexually perverted things. The only case that should ever be the case is in the marriage bed. And that doesn't mean it's perverted, that means it's right. Your body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. Is that a uh, spiritualized thing, or is that an actual physical reality that's being spoken of? You know the truth. You know exactly what he's talking about. Your body is not for immorality but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. If the human body were of no consequence to our walks in Christ, more specifically, for Him, why does the Bible make mention of it so often? If the, if the human body were of no consequence to our walks in Christ, why does the Bible make mention of it so often? 1 Corinthians 15.31 up here on the board. I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. You know, Paul was threatened physically often. Now, you could argue that's a bigger statement he's making there, and I would agree with you. Um, there's a whole host of things that were threatened, uh, including his own walk. But this was a physical reality as much as it was a spiritual reality to Paul. Because he was always out there, physically present in front of people that wanted to hurt him. That killed his master. Which was, by the way, quite physical. So, he said, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily, up here on the board, the human body has a purpose for a believer. It should never be abused or cast off as something that cannot be mastered or utilized for good. should be it, not I. The human body has a purpose for a believer. You have to believe that. You have to understand that. That you've been given that body for a reason. It should never be abused or cast off as something that cannot be mastered or utilized for good. I was thinking about that. That's reminiscent of the, uh, the Gnostics back in the day who said all, all uh, material is evil and all spiritual is good. And so it didn't matter what you did in your body because you know, it was just this 
evil thing. So let's just go have a bunch of orgies. And God won't care. That's an absolute lie. He wants you to discipline your body. He wants to use it to His glory. That body of yours has been purchased with a price. It's, it's to be used. It should never be abused. Certainly not cast off. Because that just gives you like that sort of uh, licentiousness, you know. If it's cast off, if it doesn't really matter, if it's just, you know, this heap of dung, then it shouldn't matter what I do because I'll never be master of it. That's a lie. That's a lie. But that really is um, convenient, isn't it, for someone who wants to live a life of sin. It should never be abused or cast off as something that cannot be mastered or utilized for good now, to be fair, we all struggle with fitness issues. And there are several fitness issues, not just physical in nature. Physical just seems to be what's on the chopping block this week. But we all struggle with fitness issues. None of us are fully fit. Only Jesus Christ was fully fit for service 100% of the time. So this isn't about condemnation. This is about perspective. So we all struggle with fitness issues. Some of us just seem to struggle with some forms of fitness more than others. That's nothing new. And it may just be that those people simply need their eyes open to the truth about something basic. Like, yeah, you should think about your, your body. You should take care of your body. You shouldn't just uh, cast it off. You shouldn't, because that's the, that's the pathway that leads to abuse. And like we just read, immorality is a form of abuse. That's one form of abusing the physical body. So some people just need their eyes open. Some people might say, I never thought of it that way. Never occurred to me that that was the case. Never, never thought that sticking my tongue down someone else's throat is actually probably sexual intercourse. Never thought of it that way until actually it came to my attention. Never thought about dating that way. Never thought about overeating that way. Never thought about, I don't know, pick your poison. This thing or that thing. A lot of times it's just an aha moment, which is part of my job. To open up your eyes, to, to um, sometimes shock you, but certainly to, to wake you up. Because the truth is what sets you free. So a lot of people just need their eyes open to truth about Sometimes basic things, like physical fitness. As I mentioned on Sunday, this isn't about shaming people into buying a gym membership. I mean, come on. Give me some credit. This is about perspective. That's all this is about. How you fare in the, in the grand scheme of things, that's between you and the Lord. But the truth is the truth is the truth. And that's what I'm here to teach. This is about perspective. For example... On that topic of physicality, ask yourselves, why do diet and exercise fads always fail eventually? Why? Poor motivation. Because they're marketed and consumed by people that have bad motivation, that are doing it for fleshly reasons. They go on diets, they work out. Why? Beach body. I want to look good. I want to be able to wear skin-tight clothes. So there's literally about one millimeter between me and the eyes of the opposite sex. 
Um, that's poor motivation. Doesn't matter how you were brought up, it's poor motivation. The whole idea, look, the whole idea of attractiveness from Christ's perspective is that you're attractive because of Him. Not because you have uh, nice buttocks. You can laugh. Thank you, Lois. Or because you have nice breasts, or nice hair, or nice teeth, or nice skin, or nice whatever. This is not what this is about. The most attractive thing about you should be Jesus Christ. That body of yours is nothing more than an instrument to be used to bring glory to God, not glory to yourself. God, that's a hard one to teach in America, isn't it? Isn't it? Come on. That's exactly what we're trained to be from, from when we're this big. It's unbelievable. Every time I go to like a family reunion and I haven't seen anybody, I kid you not, I, had a, I just met, I don't want to say too much because you'll know the gender and all that stuff, I just met a, rel, a relative that I hadn't seen in a while. First thing the person said to me, you're still good looking. I said to myself, that's what you have to say to me? Since we've last met, I've become a pastor. The first thing you say to me is that I'm good looking? Where is that person's head? And what have they been saying since day one? Right? That looks matter. That's what Americans do to each other. Wow, they look good. Isn't that very common what the first thing people say about one another? Isn't it honest to God truth? Someone walked in here you haven't seen in a while. Oh, they look good. Oh, they look like crap. Right? It would be the first thing you'd say. It's complete garbage. They could have just crawled off a plane from Zimbabwe evangelizing for a year, and you're saying, boy, they look like crap. It's unbelievable how we're trained. And that's terrible, poor motivation. You know who we would have said that about? Jesus Christ himself. Shame on us. If he walked in right now, he'd say, that guy looks like crap. Isn't that terrible? What's, what the hell's wrong with us? We're Americans. That's what's wrong with us. We're like the, the kings and queens of idolatry. <laughs> uh, anyways, up here on the board, James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. Poor motivation. You want, you want to feel good about yourself, but... Your, motiva your motivation's bad, so it never happens. It's always fleeting. Admiring yourself in the mirror is what we would call missing the mark, which is sin, by definition. So here's the summary point from Sunday up here on the board on the topic of physical fitness. Fitness is a way of life with a definite purpose it is not meant to bolster the flesh with pride. Rather, it is meant to be a component of overall fitness and readiness to serve the Lord. That's what physical fitness is. That's it. It's an end goal. It's, it's meant, it's a means to an end. It's a means to be able to serve the Lord. And that's it. That is it. If your spouse happens to be attracted to you, cool. If not, cool too. It has nothing to do with it. 
As most of you know, a virtuous woman, we talked about this on Sunday, a virtuous woman by God's standards, this has absolutely nothing to do with physical attractiveness. Nothing. As a matter of fact, he, he presents something just the opposite, for contrast's sake. Nothing to do with physical attractiveness. But if you were to ask the average American male, in order of priority, what they look for in a, in a mate, usually at the very, at least top one or two, is physical attractiveness, which is disgusting. They don't look for virtue. They look for physical attractiveness. Uh, that's terrible. That's terrible. In fact, the, think about it this way. The most virtuous person to ever walk the face of the earth is described as follows. Go to Isaiah 53, 2. Isaiah 53, 2. The most virtuous person to ever walk the face of the earth is described as follows. Isaiah 53, verse 2. Just for a little perspective. I mean, we're all so-called Christians, right? Isaiah 53, 2, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So that's Christ. Uh, is this actually saying that he's, he was, relatively speaking, unattractive? Yeah. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. That's the most virtuous person to ever walk the face of the earth. So the most amazing person we could ever lay eyes on is the same one that we'll see in heaven, likely bearing his stripes and scars still, and we'll see him as possessing transcendently beautiful because, or being transcendently beautiful because we'll have lost our fleshly admiration of physical beauty and wholly appreciate true beauty as described. Go to uh, Proverbs 31, 17. If you want to know what true beauty is, I mean, this is what we learn. Proverbs 31, 17. What makes a woman beautiful? A uh, nice pair of pants? Nope. You know what? Shockingly, that's not in the Bible. Proverbs 31, 17. She, this virtuous woman, girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. How about verse 25? Verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. How about verse 30? Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Those who seek physical fitness for beauty's sake would be in view there. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. So if you're physically fit for the sake of being called beautiful or for the sake of, you know, continuing the accolades that you've been getting since you had, you know, the little curly blonde hair when you were a kid 
or you know, or you had the little dimples when you were a kid. If you're just trying to live up to the stuff that was implanted in you, the lies that were given to you uh, when you were a child, the idea is to stop. The idea is to cut that off right now. Like, loose yourself. That's prison. That's prison. It's bondage. If you're seeking physical fitness for beauty's sake, you've missed the mark. And therefore, beauty is vain to you. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised, for her motivation even is correct. Give her the product of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. Doesn't say her fluttering eyes, does it? Doesn't say her breasts. It doesn't say her rear end. It doesn't say her smooth skin. It doesn't say her tan skin. It doesn't say her fake hair, her fake nails, her fake toenails, or painted on face. It doesn't say any of that stuff, does it? It says, let her works praise her in the gates. Oh, man. When's the last time that was taught anywhere? Americans teach little girls that they need to grow up to be idols. Idolized to compromise their own virtue. Do you see that this virtuous woman is a picture of Christ? What did we read about Christ? We wouldn't have even found him attractive. Yet he had perfect virtue. Hmm. This woman is a picture of Christ. Do you see the same comments about beauty or lack thereof in contrast to labor for the Lord? Like Jesus, there's nothing necessarily remarkable about her physical beauty. Rather, what makes her stunningly beautiful is her virtue. When's the last time you heard that on uh, The Bachelorette? or The Bachelor, or Dancing with the Stars, or American Idol, or The Voice, or any of these other things. The Voice, you know, The Voice is probably the most benign. I'm not saying I haven't watched it. They slip in things like this. You ready for this one? She's marketable. Not only can she sing, but she's marketable. Not only can he sing, but he's marketable. Why don't you just come out and say it? They're better looking than the, com- than the competitors, and we being an idolatrous, ridiculous, disgusting generation, that's what we feed on. <laughs> it's a radio. I can't see you singing. What's, what has it got to do, unless it's going to conjure up some half-naked image of uh, some girl in a uh, Catholic outfit or something like Britney Spears? Why don't we just destroy all these little girls? Everybody, nobody know, Lois probably the only one doesn't know what I'm talking about. But the rest of you know exactly what happens. We bring up little girls from Mickey Mouse Club. We put them in uh, little Catholic girl uniforms, have them prance around, flip their butt up in the air, and then we destroy them and throw them out like a rag. And then we make fun of them when they're hooked on drugs and out of their gourd and out of their mind on husband number 28. That's what American... Uh, society does to little girls. Where's the virtue in that? It's a perverse machine meant to grind up virtue. Oh, and guys, you have you have the same thing going on. So, but the girl one, for whatever reason, is so obvious and so 
hurtful that I have to move on. But what I understand is that a virtuous woman is beautiful because of her virtue. And the longer I live, the more visibly upset I become whenever I see an ignorant woman compromising her virtue for the sake of fleshly reactions. The true pattern for beauty was and is set in Jesus Christ himself. That's the true pattern for beauty. And unless you, and listen up, unless you have people around you that appreciate that, you should not be involved with them. If the only way you can get somebody to pay attention to you is by compromising your virtue, um, you should, you should uh, separate from them. If you're afraid that they won't uh, give you any more attention unless you, you know, cast yourself on them, that's not really a good friend anyone, anyway, that's looking for Jesus Christ in you. They're looking for something else. This is about being fit for service, my friends, up here on the board. For the sake of proper perspective, we mustn't make physical fitness anything but a slave of spiritual fitness. That's it. We understand the spiritual realities of our calling. Therefore, whatever it takes, whatever it takes to complete good deeds in this world, in this lifetime, with this ridiculous body that I can make a slave, though. I can overcome it because greater is he who is in us, right? Than he who is in the world. We can overcome this thing, this wretched body. This body needs to become our slave, but not for the sake of ourselves. Again, we enslave ourselves all over again. And that's forever the temptation. And we have... All kinds of people telling us, oh man, you've been working out. You look good. And we were on our way. We were doing the right thing. And our body was a slave to bring glory to God. And the next thing you know, you get one little compliment or a couple of compliments. Next thing you know, you're off and running towards the flesh again. And you're enslaved all over again. Choose your company wisely. Choose your company wisely. We mustn't make physical fitness anything but a slave of spiritual fitness. We must be properly motivated, serving the Lord rather than the flesh. And I'll give you this up here on the board. This is really the crux of this evening's message. The goal of any form of fitness is service. That's it. The goal of any form of fitness is service. You are to be equipped for the sake of service. That's what I'm doing right now, right? Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. That's my job. To equip the saints for the work of service. That's what fitness is meant to be. That's the goal of any form of fitness is to serve. So you have to concentrate on this. Do you see how this one truth on the board is among the greatest targets of perversion in this world. This one truth has a big, big old bullseye on it. The world, the kingdom of darkness does not want you to understand that point at all. It wants you to believe that fitness is about you. 
physically fit set of lungs back there. Right? And as a baby, you know who that's about? Him. Because that's the flesh. Screaming and yelling. As no, that's what it does, right? Lydia's like, oh, God. <laughs> Most people think that fitness is for serving self. You'll hear most people say, and I'm talking about Christians too, or so-called Christians. Well, I feel better and I look better. But you hardly ever hear someone say, I can serve the Lord in a greater capacity now. It's always, I feel better and I look better. When's the last time you heard anybody say, with this newfound health and fitness, I can serve the Lord better in greater capacity. When's the last time you've ever heard that? When's the last time that's ever been on a, a, a bottle of diet pills or the latest uh, Beachbody CD? I've never seen it. You know what we call that perversion? Living a lie. In that sense, you are not master over your own body at that point or the lusts of it. It has somehow turned the tables on you. And the kingdom of darkness is encouraging that thing, encouraging you to live a lie. That there must be something special because, you, see, you have a certain currency. When you look a certain level in America, you have a certain currency, Right? And it's, and it's highly esteemed. Good looks in America are very highly esteemed. That's why you can get certain jobs. Some people can never get a certain job. Why? Because of looks. We value it. Should we value that? Hell no. Do we value it? Yep. Have all of you at some point in your life taken advantage of it? You bet. Have I? Yeah. I know I've gotten jobs because of my looks. I'm not saying I'm fantastic. I'm just saying I know that's a fact. It's a fact of life in America. And you know what? It's a complete perversion. Complete and utter perversion. But that's the world we live in. Teshuka, right? Therefore, as we ended on Sunday, protect your mind. I'm trying to help you right now. Protect your mind. Get rid of the lies. Stop living the lies. Stop thinking that certain perverted, invented doctrines are real. You are not how you look, my friends. Jesus Christ wasn't. We wouldn't even have looked at him. The virtuous woman was too busy strengthening her arms and trying to make good for her family. We probably would never even see her. Not in America. Man, we got social networks with people videotaping themselves. And what is the deal with this? Whatever happened, if you're going to videotape, why wouldn't you just say, like, hey, here I am? It's always like this. Oh, here I am. Anybody? Scott, why do you do that? <laughs> Selfie stick? Anybody? Protect your mind. Go to Romans 8 6. You can't make this stuff up. You just can't. 
I'm not saying anything that's not true, and you know it. You, you can't make this stuff up. The number and the, per, the pervasiveness of, of this perversion is so far stretched that it's become the norm. It's become the norm, and we have to step back, and he's been doing this a lot with this congregation. We have to step back and challenge the norms. We have to go way back and say, wait a minute, have I actually built my life on being the cute kid who grew up to be the cute guy, who people come from 10 years ago and say, you're still good looking? Have I, is anything in me happy to hear that? Or do I recoil in my soul and say, I don't like where this is going. I don't like where your mind is at. Thankfully, I'm really close. It's only taken me 50 years. But that's the kind of thing that he's doing. He's unraveling that out of our souls. He's unraveling it out of our souls. Some, for some of us, it's not that stuff. For some of us, it's intelligence. For others, it's, you, I don't know, what else is there? Uh, wealth? Well, I may not be that good looking, but I got a lot of money. Or I may not have a lot of money, but I'm super duper over the top friendly. I may not be friendly, but I'm, I don't know, whatever. Those are all mind games. Look at uh, verse 6 of Romans 8. For the mind set on the flesh is death. That's where that takes you. Do you understand? There's no joy in death, is there? Not biblically speaking. The mind set on the flesh is death. You want to be a slave for the rest of your life? Keep trying to pretty yourself up. Keep trying to buff yourself up for yourself and for those around you. You want to be miserable and entrapped and ensnared and enslaved for the rest of your life? Keep it up. Keep up the American lie. That is exactly what the Spirit telling you. You have to ask yourself, how far has that gotten you so far? And don't talk about the fleshly things and don't talk about the worldly things. Where, is that, where, where has that landed you? And how many times have you landed you in that same spot where you said, how did I end up here? The mind set on the flesh is death. Can't say it much more than that. Not much left after death, is there? Not a whole lot of joy in view, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. <sighs> because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it does not, or it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Our conclusion has been where we've ended multiple messages. I can't believe I'm almost ending now, but we're going to trudge on a little bit. Our conclusion has been this up here on the board, the deceitfulness of sin. That is a series after all. Sin's end game is to thwart the will of God. Satan wants nothing more than us to become uh, overindulgent in our appetites. wants nothing more for us to become idolaters and um, you know, uh, self-willed, uh, self-righteous, self-you-fill-in-the-blank. He wants nothing more than for that to be our reality. Sin's end game is to thwart the will of God. The most effective way to do this is to insert false knowledge into the mind, thus defiling the conscience even. Again, we're coming out of the mind shaft now. Some of this should sound familiar. It's been a few months, I think, now. but 
when the conscience is defiled, we make all the wrong decisions. We think something's right when it's wrong. We think something's wrong when it's actually right. When we are affected by such maladies of the soul, we are relegated to confusion, anxiety, and everybody's favorite word, dysfunction. When our conscience is confused because we have bad data, we live in a state of dysfunction. We don't know up from down or, or, or east from west. So we're dysfunctional. Even in our prayer life, we become dysfunctional. We pray for relief rather than deliverance. As I wrote about in the blog titled, The Things We Pray For. Due to misinformation, we pray in the flesh as opposed to what we've noted in Ephesians 6.18, pray at all times in the Spirit. However, the one thing we are looking for, namely relief, never comes as a result of praying in the flesh. Why? Because, listen up, fundamentally, the human flesh is self-preserving. It wants to remain in the flesh. It wants us to remain in the flesh. The human flesh is self-preserving. Does that make sense? It wants to remain in its current estate. God wants to move you out of that estate. The human flesh wants to stay right there. Which, oddly enough, ultimately means that the human flesh persists in misery by choice. The human flesh persists in misery, get this, by choice. It would rather stay in the mire, return to it, than submit or surrender to the holy God of the universe. That's your flesh. It rejects messages like this one. How dare you tell me I shouldn't eat this way or act this way or wear this kind of clothing or do this kind of thing. How dare you? The human flesh is offended by the truth. Offended. I'll prove to you right now. I will go out to the mall. Well, the mall's closed, but I will go out somewhere and flash my little whatever and look at how many people will look at me. And look at this. You're wrong, bald guy. That's the human flesh. That's the human flesh. It it would rather persist in that state of dysfunction than surrender to what truth says about themselves and how to be set free. It would rather persist in dysfunction. That is the queerest thing, isn't it? I use queer in the strictest sense. Isn't that just queer? It's like, what in the what? Yeah, that's the the flesh. It's self-preserving. I don't want to be delivered because then I would be out of control. I can only control the host here if we don't move. So I'm going to persist in misery by choice. And just for the sake of perspective before we close, big picture, the whole salvation plan of God depends upon us dying to ourselves. So in one sense, the flesh says, I want to stay alive and active and, you know, be like the word in us, but I want to be alive and active in your life. That's your flesh. And the whole salvation plan of God is that we die to that. 
depends on dying to ourselves. Hmm. So, that thing that is whining so loudly in you isn't the new creature. It's the human flesh. False data says, give it heed, appease it, do whatever you need to stop the pain. God says, crucify it on the cross with my son. Send it all to the grave where he went and enjoy the resurrection life, scars and all. That's what God says. Go ahead, endure the pain of separation, of watching your self-life die. What does that mean practically? It means, you know what? If you're one of those people that lived on all those lies about being good-looking, you need to drop all that. All your self-esteem, it is tied to that, get rid of it. Cleave it. Gone. For good. Put it to bed. Oh, that's painful. You know how much reputation I got. Put it to bed. Put it in the grave. All of it. Done. If you think you're Joe Smarty Pants, put it in the grave. Whatever it is that you're clinging to, put it in the grave because you're in bondage to it. For years and years and years, your flesh has clung to that thing for its very life. And you fed it like a little caged animal. Hmm. God says, crucify it on the cross with my son. Send it all to the grave where he went. And then enjoy the resurrection life. Scars and all. We'll close with the passage here. It's almost as if we, you know, mourn over the loss of self. I think that's real. The Bible tells us that that's a real facet of being sanctified. That we're leaving something behind that actually is very attractive to us. That has an attractiveness to us. Has an appeal for our affections. Guaranteed, everybody in here has a pet area of their life they do not want to let go. I've already named it for probably some of you. Everybody's got that little pet area. You know what I'm getting at, right? Where your flesh gets all the approbation from the world. Where you get all your currency. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? When you're broke and down and out, you get to pull that card out. And bam! Instant street credibility. Instant self-esteem boost. It's just a drug. And it's just a lie. And just reveals your own addiction to such silliness and lies. Everybody's got that thing. Don't believe me? Get in an argument. Pick somebody in here. <laughs> get in an argument. Get them, get them down in there. Get them in a the corner like a rat. And that card will come flying out. Mm-hmm. Flying out. So, why do I say that? It's almost as if we mourn over the loss of self, white-knuckling the lives we're supposed to leave behind. You know, that's precisely what James wrote about. Go quickly. James 4, verse 3. I already gave you this, but we'll give it a little bit more context, and then i got to close. James 4, verse 3. 
Everybody's got a little pet. James 4, verse 3. <clears throat> you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your, your pleasures, not God's pleasures, your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God? Or do you think that the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the Spirit which He has made to dwell in us, but He gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, 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 therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. That's what I just went over with you. Purify your hearts, you dipsukos, you double-minded, you people with the little, you know, the trump card in your pocket. That's you. That's called double-mindedness. I'll go so far, but if you push me so far, my flesh is going to rear up and I'm pulling out the trump card. It's coming out. Huh? Purify your hearts. Put all that stuff in the grave, you double-minded. And then look what he says, and I, I promise I'll close right here. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. I'm going to let you sort of chew on that until next time. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege to study your word. It is truth that sets us free, Father. Thank you for giving it to us so faithfully. Thank you for renewing your faithfulness to us each and every morning, even though so many times and so many days and so many instances we are faithless. We do pull out that card, that flesh card, and we do satisfy and tend to our own fleshly appetites, Father. Thank you for your patience with us, your grace, your mercy in your love. We ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.